Hey, hey, I'm Jimmy Bullard, and this is me old muck of Fenners. We're back together, son. How are you? Hey, Bully, great to be back working with you. What are we doing here, though? We're starting a football club in podcast form. The only thing we know, it's called FC Bullard. After that, it's all up for grabs. So, we haven't got any players, we haven't got a kit, we haven't got a club badge, we haven't got a stadium. Correct. FC Bullard. Welcome to the club. This is a crowd podcast. Do you ever find yourself cutting that brain and then just like... Popping a bit in? Just popping in. I haven't yet, no. Not yet. It's not for me, no. no. Hi, I'm Joe Marler. And I'm Tom Fordyce. Some people do amazing things. On this show, we meet astronauts, stunt women, prison guards. And some people who do other things like, I don't know, recruitment. Yeah, we'll talk to anyone. See, I used to hate people. But this show's changed me a bit. It's taught me stuff. And now I can't get enough of people and the things that they do. I'm just like a fat geezer that eats chips pie in the morning and sells things on the market still. The guy with the toilet brush took up his bum gave oh. a fantastic story. I have been caught tipexing a customer's car. Are you a robot, Lydia? Well, how would you know? I mean... Oh, my God. <laughs> Kestrels used to be called windfuckers. <laughs> when you have to explain to a grown adult that drink is, in fact, a liquid and they don't <laughs> believe you... And we will not stop until we've met everybody. On the show today... Hi, I'm Lee and I work in a mortuary. I'm pinching your wieners really hard. (laughs) Really hard. If you can think of an unusual way of people dying, we've probably had it. You keep pointing at me and making slicing motions with your right hand. (laughs) So is my tongue connected to my arse? Yeah, effectively. (laughs) Finding three or four spoons and a knife and fork in somebody's pretty unusual, to be fair. Ooh, this'll be good. Do you think it's like on the films where they pull them out on trays? Yeah, I don't know, Joe, but I want to know if he's ever found something strange in a dead body. We will find out. Welcome to The Joe Marler Show. Lee, 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 Name is fucking Lee. <laughs> I do get that a lot. Hey, Lee. Hi. How are you? I'm very well, thank you, Joe. How are you? Great. It's lovely to see you. Tom, Thanks meet Lee. Hey, Lee. How are you? I'm very good, thank you. How are you? I'm good. I'm surrounded by men with beards. Indeed. It's yeah. Done. And soon both to be upside down heads. Yeah. Lee, you've got quite a high trim line, I noticed. I have, I have. I've also got a bit of a sports bra type design going on for some reason. I'm oh my God. Me. That's nice, isn't it? Yes. Can you just put your head back again? Yeah. Looks like a set of lungs, <laughs> doesn't it? <laughs> but they'd be sort of lungs of a heavy smoker. They, they probably would be, yeah. Yeah. But no, these are all natural, all my own, grown at myself. Are you trying to segue into the subject by going... I wasn't, but I could have done. You could have? Yeah. Shall I? Please do. Lee, you're here today to talk about uh, working in a mortuary. Yes. And my first question is pretty basic and to the point, but it's important because I said to the kids last night, I said, ah, oh, recording with someone that works in a mortuary tomorrow, like a mortician. Sure. And Jasper turned around and went, you're recording with the mum from Adam's family. <laughs> and I went, oh my God, you, your, your shit jokes are because of me. <laughs> That's exactly the sort of joke. What have I created? What have I created? Uh, Could you tell me and Tom and the listeners what exactly a mortician is? A mortician the right thing? Mortician is more of an Americanism, honestly. Oh, so the 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 UK people, the the mortuary people, tend to be called APTs, technicians. And we guess what the APT is. You can, by all means. After after post, yeah, no, anno. It's probably something Latiny, isn't it? Anno post. Technician-y. You're right with the anno. 
Oh. It's anatomical pathology technologists, actually, but anatomical technicians is generally pathology. the... Yeah. So you're an APT? APT. So that is somebody who works in the mortuary at a certain particular level to assist the pathologist with their post-mortem work, to care for the deceased in a dignified, respectful and, and caring way, and to help them onto their next location. So funeral directors. Oh, have you ever been to a mortuary, Joe? Have you ever stepped inside a mortuary? No. My only knowledge of a mortuary is My Girl. Do you remember My mm, Girl? After the bees thing. Yeah, with oh. Dan Aykroyd. Yes. Uh, but the mortuary was in their house, yeah. I most, believe. So that's the only thing. Most people's experience I've... of mortuaries is the TV. Yeah. And it's nothing like the TV. Right, oh. we need to do a, a checklist, Joe, of the things that we'd expect to find in a mortuary, having seen them on TV, and then, Lee, you can dismiss these as fiction. I'm going to start, Joe, with massive, big sliding drawers that you could put an entire human in. Yeah. Fact. <gasps> oh, is it like a competition? Like, it <laughs> Big right? time. Okay, bodies. Definitely. Oh, easy win, yeah? You're not getting a full <laughs> okay, point for bodies. Sorry, sorry. What about the, the tags on the toes? Yes and no. It's no longer in our policy to toe tag people. People have a, a particular feeling. The feedback we've had is that p people feel that luggage gets tagged, not people. Yeah, we, we use wristbands, ah, okay. wrist, and, wrist and ankle bands. Okay, so we've got yes to the drawers, we've got yes to bodies, no points for Joe. Toe tags, yes and no. I'm going to say everyone is in white overalls with green wellies. Not white overalls, no. We're in blue scrub suits and wellies, yes. White, oh. white wellies. Money if you're getting a point for bodies, I'm having a point for that. Money yellow. Oh, yeah. yellow? Yeah, yellow wellies. Out of, you just wanted a bit more pizzazz. No, the, the size 13 ones only did yellow. <laughs> so I look like Big Bird most of the time. <laughs> I'm going to go with big metal tables. Gurney? Yes. No, that's an Americanism again, Sorry, Tom. apology. The UK, we call it metal it's a, table. Yeah, it's a post-mortem table. So, Perfection table, whatever you want to call it. Yeah. But on that, with a wedge for the head. Yes. Where are you getting this from? To be honest with you, my other knowledge is from Waking the Dead, mm. which is... You love that show. But that's where I'm getting it from. I used to... I had a fascination. Well, I, I think I still do. I have a fascination with death. Yeah. Well, you're not alone. And I think the trouble we, we have in this country, especially from a societal point of view, is that we don't talk about it. We don't talk about it. We don't discuss it for fear of bringing it up, for, you know, making it happen. People just makes people uncomfortable. And statistically speaking, it affects one in one of us. So it's going <laughs> to... We're not going to avoid it. For something that's going to affect everybody, we just don't talk about it. Right. We could do the checklist for the entire episode, and I think it would make a really shit episode. So I can't mention the, the white tiles? No, no white tiles. Can I mention some sort of weird drain in the floor that you always worry stuff's going to go down? Um, yes. Oh. Yes. Okay, so we're just... You look unhappy with me, Joe. He's winning, that's why. Yeah, it's a... Can we call it a draw? No, I've got about eight. Okay, you win that one. Fine. Um, Lee, what exactly do you do? What is your role in this mortuary? So my role is now a one of management, really. I'm the mortuary manager, or mortuary lead, I should say. So I'm technically looking after the day-to-day -day stuff. I don't do the post-mortem dissections quite so often, but I still get in there every now and then. But my, my job is now more one of regulation, so it's dealing with tissue samples. We're, we're governed by a hugely powerful organisation called the, the Human Tissue Authority, and for every single piece of tissue we take, test, retain, keep, or whatever we do with it, we have to know about 11 different things about it since 2004. So for every piece of tissue we've ever taken since 2004, we can be inspected, and the, the tissue team, can, or sorry, the, the HTA can come in and inspect us and say... Mr. So-and-so, who had a post-mortem in 2007, we can see he had blocks of histology taken or tissue samples taken. What happened to those? Tell me what happened to those. And we have to be able to recall and 
re-examine that route of consent, basically. Do you know what I'm thinking, Joe, as we listen to Lee? There are various jobs, there's people we talk to doing different jobs, and you can imagine them having the ordinary conversations that people have at work while they do their jobs. But Lee, I find this quite a weird idea that you could be over a corpse with any number of sharp items and just going, how was your weekend? Did you get out? Yeah. You had a few um, beers, yeah. We do. We're, we're normal people. Despite what the TV shows you about mortuary stuff, we are generally, you know, kind of normal normal people. My team are all really young, they're really lively, happy, fun, and funny people. You know, they, they, it, makes, it makes for a, a really nice environment when we can be normal and make it a normal space to be when it is anything but. It's, you know, the things that are happening around you, the issues with the kind of, I don't like to use the word, but the kind of moral conundrums and the moral injuries that we deal with in terms of what the job asks of you it's it's quite difficult to, to deal with some of the stuff and if you don't have that kind of normality in your life things can become really difficult quite quickly does every body oh, i don't know do we call them bodies can we call them what do we call we them? refer to them as patients patients everyone every patient that dies goes in a mortuary not necessarily M my mortuary uh is a hospital mortuary so we're we're attached to a, a, a large acute hospital trust and we are also a public mortuary by default in that we deal with post-mortem examinations from people who've died outside the hospital environment so we cover a, a large catchment area um, for people that require an examination they come into our care we do the examination and we send them on to their funeral director from that point if people die expectedly in their own homes the family can contact any funeral director who will come and collect them or their chosen funeral director will come and collect them and take them into their care um, if they die unexpectedly they will often have to be transported to a designated area that the coroners would allow for us to store people in prior to their examination. What's the coroner? The coroner is the person who is, has overall jurisdiction on whether or not an investigation into the death occurs. So, Lee, when you're talking about having a normal atmosphere, yes. are you allowed music on? We are. We're one of the few places that we kind of, well, I say we ignore the rules. We don't ignore the rules. There are all sorts of issues around having music in hospital theatres and whether or not it's appropriate to listen to certain types of music. My team will listen to anything from Phantom of the Opera to Ramstein. And really? Yeah. And it's, it's, it's nice to have kind of a background noise that's going on that, as I said, feels, feels normal. I can't really get into words how an unusual a place it is to be. And some of the things to go. I mean, at Christmas time, we're playing Christmas songs. You know, with <laughs> one of my ex colleagues used to listen to Disney songs all the time, so we'd have Disney soundtrack blaring around in the in the post mortem room. So yeah, it's it, it's a truly bizarre place to be. World's crappiest Disney store, <laughs> that worst kind of Christmas shop. Yeah, it's it's the worst. But yeah, we have to we have to keep it normal. So you could be. You could have a scalpel. You could be opening up a patient and looking for the cause of death. Opening up someone's lungs or brain and in the background you could have cliff richard yeah essentially christmas time yeah mistletoe and wine immediately i, I feel like i want to say fucking hell that's a bit weird isn't it that's hard to try and fathom it's I'm, it's hard in my head to fathom standing in front of a dead a dead body let alone standing in front of it yeah and then cutting it up or not, as in cutting it in to investigate or whatever in it, that's blows my mind even another level. And yet you get to the fucking top tier of blowing minds and you chuck in all the Disney music whilst you're doing that, you go, yeah. well, it's fucking weird, isn't it? It is weird. I should probably make it clear that the numbers of patients we're talking about here it's my my wife and I do the same job. She does the same job at a different hospital. So we're very I'm very lucky in that I've got a really good support system. So I can go home and say, Do you know what? I've had a terrible day, it's been awful. This has happened, this has happened. And she can say, I get it, I understand. I know what that feels like. My 
remaining team aren't always quite so lucky. I've got another team member who's married to a police officer, so she has the kind of same support mechanism there. My other team, not so much. So we have to we have to talk to each other and we have to kind of support each other. And, and they're all lovely girls and they're all very good at saying when things aren't quite right. So um, we pick up on the kind of minutiae of when things aren't right. So we try and make it as normal and as right as possible. And as I said, I don't want it. I don't want it to come across as disrespectful that we're listening to Disney songs while we're doing postmortems. It's just our level of normality, and the numbers of patients we're dealing with. We've been to Twickenham. We've watched the games. Twickenham stood there. You know, eighty-eight thousand people between myself and my wife. We've dealt with probably another twenty thousand people on top of that what? during the course of our career. Deceased patients. You know, and when you look around, you just think, oh my god, there's it's this madness. We've dealt with you know hundred thousand plus patients between us, in, just in two mortuaries. You've got to be a particular type of person though to be able to you have to be able to unlearn the things that you've been taught right from being really really tiny oh. and even back from your kind of caveman brain your brain is an amazing organ in that it perceives danger very differently to you as a person so and again i should probably just explain your brain and spine and nervous system is effectively wearing your body as a mech so it actually doesn't give two craps about you as a person all it's concerned about is itself so when you see something which is smelly, nasty looking, you know, abhorrent, your immediate reaction is to kind of go, oh, you know, don't want to, don't want to see that. And that's just your brain. It, that's not a conscious choice. That's your caveman brain saying, that's dangerous. I want you to keep away from it. It might harm me. It might harm us. And that butterflies feeling you get and that feeling of faintness. And, and when people do faint, that is purely their brain saying, if you continue along this path, I will stop you from putting me in danger. I will drop you where you stand and you will sit there until you feel better. And that's what we have. We have people who come and watch post-mortems, you know, police, fire brigade, ambulance crew, who don't always leave standing upright. And it's just your brain, your, your caveman brain saying it's dangerous, I don't want to be near it. So if you can unlearn that, we can actually teach the role to anybody who's able to unlearn those, those kind of core fundamental things. Don't put knives in people, don't, don't do those kind of things. So if you can unlearn that, it's, it's doable. Did it take you a while yourself, Lee? Like... When you first started out, because there must be a period where everyone has to get used to those things. Yeah. You come across as a very calm man, but were you different at the start? No, I think I've always been pretty calm. Yes, the job is challenging. There are still parts of it that make me heave. There's parts of the role that I simply cannot get my head around. Like? We have to remove body fluids from the body cavity. And the easiest way we have to do that, and, and very bluntly, is, is with a, a ladle, effectively a kitchen ladle or stainless steel ladle. And because I have that association with food, look at me, I'm a, I like my food. <laughs> because I have that association with food, every now and then it'll just catch me off guard and I'll, I'll be ladling and, and just find myself kind of going, Whoa! and just kind of have that moment where it's like, no, no, don't like that. And then it's gone again. And when you say from the body cavity, forgive my ignorance, what we're we talking about? So when we've removed... And again, I should explain, APTs, technicians, work effectively under supervision of a pathologist. So the pathologist's role is to establish the cause of death. They examine the organs. Our role is to, under supervision, take them out. In reality, um, again, APTs across the country are doing the, the fundamental part of the post-mortem, the, the, the removal of the organs, and the pathologists are dissecting them and disappearing again. And again, I mean no disrespect to any pathologists listening, but they, their role is, is quite small in terms of, you know, they're, they're there to find the cause of death. Everything else, they're not really bothered about. They're not bothered about the reconstruction. They're not bothered about how the body looks for the family. You know, washing them, dressing them, doing their hair, doing their makeup, making sure they're clean and tidy, all of that stuff. The onwards preservation processes that we go through, they just want to know, cause of death, get paid, go. So can we... It's a tough one. I, I was... Obviously very excited because I know Lee on a personal level to get Lee in the studio and, and hear his story. But 
the subject of working in a mortuary, I was like, where the fuck are we going to get any laughs in this one? Because you don't want to be disrespectful, no. and you, you don't, but at the same time, of course. like you opened with, it's it's part, death is as much part yeah. of life we as get, life. We often get, we often get <laughs> told, we often get told, oh, you must have a real kind of sense of gallows humour, a dark humour, and it's not, it's just humour. We're going about our normal jobs, having normal conversations about our normal weekends and doing our normal things. There are funny elements. The, the police reports we get are dire and shocking and, you know, these, are, these people are looking after us and I can't disrespect the, the police too much. But yeah, some of the, we, we went through a stage of some of the police reports that we get um, featured people's last meal and it's never important because it doesn't really matter. I, I don't know what they think is, is happening to people's dinners. I can't think of the last time somebody's dinner killed them but we used to get a description of people's last meals and we had a deceased person was found at home at the kitchen table and, and the report was literally a few lines and it said nothing was known of the deceased last meal although a bowl of soup and in brackets it said possibly tomato <laughs> was found at the kitchen table and I just love the image of these two quite senior police officers <laughs> kind of going I'm, I'm going to go minestrone no no there's no vegetables in it. there's no nude I'm putting tomato yeah. I'm putting tomato but yeah, it's possibly just, tomato <laughs> And it's, it's crazy. Put your finger in it. No, you put your <laughs> fucking finger in it. No, you put... No, oh, God. Yeah. So there are there are really genuinely laugh-out-loud moments, never at the cost of the deceased, never at the dignity of the deceased person. But, yeah, you know, we, we have to have a laugh and a joke at work, and that's right. the bottom line. I think a, a good way for us to get a better understanding of the, of the process is, and, you know, do it in a respectful or as respectful way as possible, is Tom's dead. Mm. Okay. Or Tom's died. You're died. I'm sorry to hear that. You're died. Sorry, what, Tom. What polish me off? Are we going to find that out? Uh, Some tomato soup, innit? it? It's got to be. You've, yeah, be, be. you've been. You've no. You choose your death. Wow. Don't make it too obvious because we've got to go through the process. So you want something quite interesting? Yeah, but not so fucking hard. Okay. Um, I was in my garden. Yeah. I'd left out a garden fork, um, and I was on my phone, and I stood. So the garden fork's on the ground, and I stood on the prongs of the fork. <laughs> Boosh, the handlers come up and hit me on the head, knocked me back. I then struck my head on the patio and died. Right. Thanks for that. It's a good one. So Tom's died. Yeah, most people want to die in their sleep, you know, Tom, you know. <laughs> so the process <laughs> is, easy, I, he's been found, the police report and all that lot's been done. He then gets sent where? So from his home address or where his garden is, he would be collected in our area at least, by a, a coroner's ambulance, which is effectively a funeral director who's contracted by the Norfolk County Council and by the coroners to act as a, a triage centre, shall we say. So we do that because I only have a certain amount of capacity at, at the mortuary, so we have to keep our patients kind of in an outside area until we definitely need them in. They come into us and we get them out as quickly as possible. By outside area, you mean, like, is there, like, a specific, like, holding? So funeral, yeah, funeral, lots of the funeral directors have... Um, their own capacity for storage of patients. So yeah, they they would use their storage spaces rather than ours. Okay, and those just quickly those storage spaces. I presume they're really cold. But yeah, very cold. Well, I say very cold. They they generally operate about the same sort of temperature as your fridge at home. So oh. anywhere between sort of four and eight degrees is quite normal. And that's good enough to stop yeah, the body. We from... can we can keep people in that condition for about two weeks before we start to see noticeable differences. Okay, so Tom, you you've done that. You're in now. So you're from in the with funeral directors. Funeral directors. You then we then get into a Lee's. police report from the coroner's office, um, which is then signed by the coroner, which is our authority to, to do an examination. That gets emailed to our pathologist. Our pathologist says, "Yep, I want to do that case on Wednesday." 
Thursday, whenever it might be, we get the deceased into our care. So Tom, you'd be delivered by that funeral directors into our care and you would be put into our storage facility at a similar temperature uh, until we did the postmortem the following. Has he got clothes on? Yeah. That's exactly what I was wondering. Yeah, like, uh, is he just where he... You can't talk. You're dead. But some part of my soul is floating above the mortuary. Okay, well, if I'm that's wondering the case, what clothes you, I'm wearing. We have to use a soul voice. Okay. Oh, what clothes? Oh, look, he's still got the jeans on. That jumper oh, wasn't the best jumper in retrospect. We're not judging you, jumper. It's fine. Thank you. We were Joe judging did judge it earlier, it earlier actually, <laughs> to be fair. To no, in a good way. I thought it was good. And you look like you play for Celtic. <laughs> and yeah. I told you to hold the hide the blue bit a little bit more. Anyway, you're dead. And he's got his clothes on. Yeah. He's exactly how he was when he died. Yeah, so he would, oh. he would be brought into our care in that condition because obviously at this stage we don't know anything about him. We don't know anything about how he's died other than the police report, which as we've already talked about can be a little bit challenging. Nothing about the circumstances. We might have got a bit about your last meal. So at this stage we don't know anything about you. So when you come into my care, we would do our first kind of overall look at you. We'd see if you were leaking from anywhere. We'd try and make sure that we contained any leakage. Oh, it's a big joke, you, is it? Sorry, Actually, I'm, I'm at the age where I leak already, Lisa. Yeah, I'm, yeah, it's fine. Yeah. The trouble with leakage of bodies is that it can be damaging. So um, your gastric contents, for example, your gastric contents in your stomach contains hydrochloric acid. So that'll eat through the body of a car if we leave it on there too long. So if it's on people's skin, it can burn their skin, dissolve their eyelids, you know, those kind of things. So we have to... We I have could to dissolve sure. another human in my... Well, ultimately, your, your stomach will eat you. The decompositional process is is not necessarily you being exposed to the air, but your flora of bacteria that's already in your body effectively just going crazy because it's not under control anymore. So your body breaks down because the bacteria in your bowel, hydrochloric acid in your stomach, it's all kind of starting to break you down. Fucking hell. It's fascinating. If you could eat yourself and you could have a tiny nibble, would mm. you? Well, now? Yeah, while you were living. Just have a taste. Yeah. You would experience the pain of your eating yourself, but you'd get a flavour. Yeah. I wouldn't eat it as in I'd bite myself like an apple. I'd, I'd cut it off and then fry it. Would you? And then I'd eat it, yeah. Well, how are you frying? Just a quick tss, both sides? No, nah, it's got to be well done. I might even cut quite a big part of me up. I think I'd take my calf off. Would you? Yeah, take the whole calf off and reverse sear it. Can I offer an option? Yeah. You could, you could eat your weenus. Eat my weenus? Your weenus. Your weenus is your elbow skin. That's a real thing. That's a real thing. It, it does have a proper Latin name. Get <clears> off mine, you have in mind. Get off mine. But you can, no, you hang can, on. I'm, I'm you trying can something it, here. You can pull it, nip it, bite it, and you generally won't feel it. Does that hurt? I'm worried you're going to try and eat my weenus. No, I'm not trying to eat you. Eat you. you can nip it, it won't can you? Really? Can you feel that? I'm pinching yeah. your weenus really hard. <laughs> really hard. This is ch this is. I can, only I can only feel the pull of it. I can't yeah, feel I'm the impact. Yeah. You've got very, you know, very little nervous system going why? through your elbows. Um, I don't know. It could be just because their extremities, they get bashed a lot. So, right, Tom's dead. He's had his liquids removed. Any leakage? With a ladle. With a ladle. No, not this no? stage, not with a ladle. Oh. Oh. We would we would put you into a body bag at this point if you were leaking. Oh. Um, you might you might well come in to our care in a body bag, but yeah, we would, you would put you in a body bag. Before the post-mortem, we would take you out of the storage facility. We would weigh you on a trolley, we'd get your, your height and weight. Um, from that, the pathologist can work out your BMI because then your organs will have a normal nominal weight range. So we weigh all the organs separately as well uh, because obviously anything over or above normal weight would be potentially indicate a condition or a problem. Whoa. So then we'd weigh you on a trolley, we would remove your clothes, we'd chart any injuries that you have, any marks of violence, any medical interventions, so you're battering your head off your, off your shovel. I've got front and back, so I hit my head on the patio yeah. as well. Yeah, We'd measure all of that. 
with a scale rule that would be charted and, and logged as part of your eventual post-mortem report. We would then get you onto the table. Me or one of my team would then open up your body, remove your organs. How? When you, when you say, yeah, uh, you're dead. I still find this upsetting. What, that you're dead? Yeah. Well, you can't get upset, you're dead. But there's so many things I didn't achieve. <laughs> Fuck me. <laughs> no, I know, but you're dead. <laughs> this is making it worse. Yeah, but you can't be upset about being dead. I'm really upset. You No, physically, you can't be upset about it. You're I never dead. lived in Paris. Oh, for fuck's sake. How do you then open Tom up? Well, like, where do you... So we were making a, a, a bold incision from the left side of the neck. Some people go straight from the middle. Some people do a Y incision, depending on which department you're working in, uh, which pathologist you're working for. Our pathologists are all quite happy with a single midline incision right the way down the front of the body. So the left side of the neck, about here, all the way down to the symphysis pubis, just above your pubic bone. And then you peel back... Yeah, you don't have to dissect back. It's not quite peeling, but yeah, oh. you, you have to you have to cut and pull and dissect away. Like opening a cardigan, kinda. And then, how do you go through? Is what do you what tools go through the ribs? Go through the ribs. Um, so we have got a rib shears. So they're effectively a, a pair of large stainless steel kind of croppers. So sort just of clip my things. ribs. Yeah, we go through the costal cartilages, not through the bone. Um, so you've got cartilage in your ribs, obviously, to make them flex and move. We cut through those to to expose your heart and lungs. And then you pull that off. Yep. And then there's his heart and lungs there. Yep, heart and lungs, everything oh. everything all attached. It's not happening to you, but you're dead, so get you on with it. You keep pointing at me and making slicing motions with your right hand. <laughs> <laughs> so we're taking his lungs out? Yeah, we take everything really from the tongue to the rectum. So we include the tongue um, as part of the post-mortem organ dissection because if, for example, somebody's has an epileptic seizure and they're bitten their tongue, epilepsy isn't something we can always find at post-mortem. So a bitten tongue might be the only evidence we get of, a, of an epileptic seizure. So we take the tongue and examine that as part of the organ. So everything from the tongue, so we make an incision around the inside of the mandible. We go underneath the mandible, we then effectively hook the tongue back down through the incision that we've made, and that all comes out as part of that what? thoracic... Like a reverse tongue? Punk. Yeah. A gangster would call it a Colombian necktie. So you, yes. you pull it out? Yeah. So we pull it out through the, through the incision. How long made. is it? Is it longer than we realise? Yeah, your tongue's got quite a, a decent root on it and it's attached it? at the top of your larynx and voice box and stuff, yeah. So you're doing all that, you've weighed it all, then do you have to, like, put it all back in? Yeah, it depends on how we take it out, but everybody's reconstructed to the point where they could be viewed afterwards, yeah. We always have a go at reconstructing people fully, irrespective of how they've died. So Tom's dead, you've yep. done your, you've gone to work on him... You've taken it all out. Yep. You've then put it all back well, the in. Pathologists would then have to dissect the organs to establish what has killed Tom. So, given that he's bashed the back of his head, I would suspect. So, would you? Ha yeah. Would you have a guess? We um, before going on, or do you have? Well, to myself do all and my these? team will generally be able to spot eight out of ten of the causes of death, just from the size of the organs, the shape of the organs, whether there's any free blood, those kind of things. We've all been in the role long enough to kind of identify when something's not right. Our role is one of preservation, so we're used to keeping a body in a, as good a condition as possible for as long as possible. So when we open a patient up and we spot something that's not quite normal or not quite right, we can bring that to the attention of the pathologist. The pathologist will then dissect the organs, establish the cause of death, although not always. Maybe one in 50 is an unestablished cause of death, or unascertained, that's a, that's a normal cause of death. Because Tom's had effectively an unnatural death, so he hasn't died of natural causes, the coroner would then probably perform an inquest. So it's a small court hearing just to establish some of the facts see what's happened um, gives the chance for the family and anybody else to attend and yeah that would, that would be it off you go to your funeral directors so, that, so you patch him all back up yep we'd make sure he was clean and tidy he's sewing me back up then yep now. and then you just put him back in a bag no he would then go um, onto one of our normal body trays uh, he would be surrounded in a, a, a sheet um, he would be covered with a shroud he would have talcum powder in, in the wound um, to help 
seal the wound up to stop any, again, to prevent any further leakage from that wound if there is going to be any at all. That's then covered up with a piece of paper towel. You then get a shroud put on top of you and then you're wrapped up in the sheet. You're reunited with your property and your clothes and you're off a jumper mm. and you'll get put back in the fridge ready for collection he both humans. That. He's being as polite as he, he might, can. He might like this jumper. Just no, he, he doesn't. Like it. He doesn't. Okay. Let's have a little break there for some adverts. I tell you what, Tom, whilst I loved being out there for the Rugby World Cup, it's so nice to be home so I can finally catch up on all my favourite shows. Did you not get time to watch stuff out there, Joe? It's not that, mate. I was in France, wasn't I? So you can't watch certain things abroad. Yeah, that's not actually entirely true, Joe. If you'd signed up with NordVPN before you went, that would have allowed you to change your virtual location so you could watch whatever you like, wherever you are in the world. Get this. It also protects all of your private data, like bank details, passwords and online identity as well. Well, that's no good telling me now, is it, Tom? Although that does sound very useful for the future. Yeah, well, Joe, now is actually a brilliant time to sign up because this year NordVPN have teamed up with Movember, which is a cause close to both our hearts. During Movember, new and recurring NordVPN customers will have the chance to contribute one, five or ten pounds to the charity. And NordVPN will then match your donation. Amazing. That is amazing. Movember is an unbelievable charity which we fully support on this show because it's so important for men to talk about their mental health as well as their physical health. So sign me up. NordVPN have got your cyber health covered as well, Joe. So to sign up, just go to nordvpn.com forward slash Marla to get four extra months free and support Movember. This episode is sponsored by the Newt Counter. The Newt Counter. The, the Newt Counter. Gav Ward. To be more like Gav, go to patreon.com forward slash Joe Marla Show, become an official sponsor, get bonus content, and grow the show today. So that was the break. And Tom, you have somehow, by the power of the Lord above or whatever <laughs> other thing there is, have resurrected. Thank You're God. alive again. You're Amazing. back in the room. And he's back in the room. Oh. I think I prefer being alive. In the, in the jumper? Or? Yeah, well, do you mind? Yeah. Can we get rid of that? <laughs> what are some of the strangest causes of death that, you, that you've come across? We've had all sorts of things have happened over the years. We've had people that have been pulled into machinery, people oh. that have been crushed by hay bales. We've had people that have died in air accidents. If you can think of an unusual way of people dying, we've probably had it. There's a condition called uh, pica, which... It kind of gets people to, or it compels people to eat things of little or no um, nutritional value. So it might include cutlery, Valencia coins. ice lollies. Um, Valencia ice lollies have got 61 calories in them, so it's got bucking nutritional value. Thank you, okay. Thomas. So yeah, things, things that have no nutritional value at all and can be harmful. Pins, needles, safety pins, all what? sorts of stuff that people eat. Um, we... So, you'd ha so have you had to then... Yeah, we found Surely you've then found them in inside stomach. them. Yeah. And then have you gone like, 
what's your reaction to that? Well, oftentimes, by the time they've died, they've done it a number of times, so we can see the evidence of that happening a number of times. So, especially within the prison system, we get people that, are, that do this to get effectively out of prison for a little while into hospital. So what, they'd swallow a, what, a sharp object like? Yeah, a knife or a spoon or a... I mean, I've pulled cutlery out of people before, money, rubbers, erasers, all sorts of stuff. And a, ru a rubber has killed someone, they swallowed it? No, what's, what's effectively killed someone is, is the, the bowel obstruction that it causes. <gasps> so often, as I said, by the time people have done it more than once... They've already had a number of surgeries, and, and people who've had surgeries, you know, listeners-wise, if they've ever had surgery on their stomach, you sometimes get adhesions, and the skin doesn't ever heal quite as well as it does the first time around or the second time around as it does the first or the third time as the first. So, yeah, by the time people have, have had these operations on their stomachs three or four times, you know, their tissues are starting to break down, their stomach's a bit fragile, so people often end up either bleeding out or, or getting really infected oh, yeah, bowels like problems. Um, but yeah, there's, there's those kind of things. Is but, a yeah. rubber the weirdest thing you've had to pull out of someone? No, I mean, cutlery, finding finding three or four spoons and a knife and fork in somebody's pretty unusual, to be fair. That's a lot of cutlery. <laughs> yeah. Can a you, dessert spoon or a teaspoon? Uh, teaspoons. Can you swallow it? Do you think you'd be able to swallow a spoon? No. Even the... I feel sick. The thought of trying to... I mean, I take a spoon on before a knife. I think in the order of things in the cutlery jar, I'd go spoon... Fewer sharp edges. Mm. I was going to say forks better than knife, but you've got the prongs. I'd probably go spoon. Surely a knife's the easiest, mate. It's straight. It's straight yeah, but if you're swallowing cutlery, I don't. Th I think thinking yeah, of it being a I'm serrated not sure they're thinking is the last of it. thing. Yeah, they're not really thinking about it at that stage. What about a whisk? <laughs> <laughs> do you think you could do a whisk? Yeah, I do. Actually. I could do a whisk because if you squeeze it, oh, it folds. It yeah, folds in. Yeah. So actually, once you've got the first bit in, which behind it would go. With... Surely a ladle, talking of ladles. Yeah. That would get stuck, wouldn't it? Yeah, just... You could do a ladle. Potato no. masher. Oh. <laughs> yeah, good. <laughs> if you're going to do it, you might as well do it properly. But also you could push that down because it's designed to yeah. be mashed. Yeah. Potato nice. peeler would be bad, but sharp. I know it's meant to be sharp, that's the point. No, because what sort of potato peeler have you got? You've got a knife-shaped one or have you got a, a wide berth one? Yeah, I've got a knife-shaped one, but the wide berth ones would be harder. Really tricky, yeah. that one. I'm going to ask the question... But I know the answer. Do you think you could work in a mortuary? <sighs> I'm hoping that I would get used to it, as Lee has described. But I think I'd have a very tough probationary period. It's not for everyone. We have had people come and stay six months and gone again. But we've also had people... I've done it 24 years, 25 years. Could you yeah, do it, Joe? Almost. Work in a mortuary? Yeah, you'd love it, wouldn't you? Yeah. <laughs> I've pushed the shit down a drain. <laughs> <laughs> and that's, that's going to be your big play of the interview, is it? Well, I, I'm tell, me, tell me about your previous experience yeah. in this role. Yeah, push the shit, push one of my shits, and it wasn't yours; it was your mate's shit. It was my mate's shit. Yeah, it's like, really kind. The, the point I make on that is, I'd like to think I'm not overly squeamish. <laughs> what about here's, here's something I've I've found very early in my career as a journalist, Lee. I was doing some work experience on the Cambridge Evening News, so I would be sent out with different reporters to try and get a feel for what they did. And I went out with the crime reporter one morning, and we went to a coroner's report, I think, and it was about a man who had died through auto-asphyxiation. Yep. Um, he'd used a plastic bag, Joe, rather than a satsuma or orange or belt. And what, a wank? I think so. You're talking about a asphyxy wank? Yeah. What, he died from it? Yeah. It doesn't take an awful lot of oxygen loss to your brain to make you unconscious. And if people are suspended while they're doing that, that can it just continues. So rather than just passing out and falling over and then coming back to, coming back to life, they just, yeah. The strange thing about getting it, so I was 20, 20 years old. The strangest thing, Lee, was the juxtaposition 
between the nature of the man's death and how calm it was in this hearing and the language that was being used. It could have been talking about um, someone being hit in the head with a garden fork yeah. or someone dying of a heart attack. Yeah. And because the family are there, it has to be very respectful. But whoa, it was weird hearing yeah. about an asphyxiwanked death. Yes, absolutely. And I, I think one of the things that it's quite important to get across from, from our point of view is that we're, we're not there to judge people's lives. We're there to establish their cause of death. And that's that's the bottom line of, of what our team are trying to achieve. We've dealt with people who've been murdered. We've dealt with murderers. We've dealt with people who've killed people and then killed themselves. We've dealt with people who've done horrible things, criminals, you know, terrible things, terrible people. And it's they've done their time, as far as we're concerned. That's that's it. Their life has ended, and we're there to send them on to this next bit that they're doing. So we're not there to judge. We're not there to to pick holes. We're not there to comment on anything they've done in life. Their death is anything that is of interest to us. That must be quite tough. You're obviously really calm and deal with your job in an incredible manner. But it must be tough when a body comes to you or a patient comes to you that you know or heavily suspect is a murder case. Yeah. And I know you're saying how it happened or what's happened isn't of interest, it's just like that part yeah. of it. It must be hard emotionally to be dealing with a murder case or... It is. I mean, the tragic thing about murder is that because of the, the process, it's not just about taking somebody's life, the process around that legal system allows anybody who's then accused or charged with that crime to have another examination of that body. So we, oh. that we then end up having to keep people who've been murdered for a much longer period than we would any other normal coroner's case. Because the body is then not just a body, it's also a, an evidence, a piece, piece of evidence. Anything that we take at the post-mortem, so any samples, anything that is specific to that cause of death, can also be called upon as being an evidence, a piece of evidence. So the pieces of body tissue, the, the brain, for example, we might retain the whole brain, and that might become a piece of evidence rather than being part of a person. So then the family don't have the opportunity or don't always have the opportunity to have that material placed back with the body within a, you know, a, what is a reasonable period of time before the body is, is um, you know, has their funeral. So it can be a long time. I mean, with the longest I know that we've kept a patient has been four, four and a bit years. Oh, my God. Um, how, how, how are you... Well, the that's in, that's in a, a much that. colder environment, so that's right. in a deep freeze facility. So that operates at about minus 22, and the patients do properly freeze, you know, rock solid. They would break like a marble statue if we dropped them. We have to be very careful of our frozen specimens, make sure the hands and fingers and faces and stuff are all tucked in and covered, because um, obviously with, with freezing, you get stuff like freezer burn and, uh, you know, all, all of that sort of stuff. So we have to, again, maintain that preservation uh, approach to, to the tissue. Does it? I remember speaking to a police officer once, who attended a number of pretty grisly incidents. And he was saying how tough that was when you're exposed, more than most people are, to the worst things that people can do to other yeah. people. How's that for you, Lee? If you have someone who comes in and they're a murder victim... I guess overall, throughout my career, I've been on this kind of waveform of how I dealt with it. So... Initially, when I first started out, I struggled with it. I struggled with the whole system, the whole process, dealing with people, dealing with deceased people, dealing with people who've been murdered. And then as it became more normal for me, you're able to kind of be involved more. And then you go from thinking, you know, I'm, I'm part of this murder investigation, and now I'm 24 years down the road, and I'm thinking, oh, no, not another, another forensic case. It really is a proper polar opposites approach. And as I said, there are people that come into it and simply cannot deal with anything that we're doing. 
you know, just kind of going back to your brain and how complex your brain is, if you can unlearn those systems that we talked about earlier on, if you can unlearn that these things that smell bad or look bad aren't dangerous to you, we can kind of push that aside. It becomes normal for you to do those things. The hardest thing my team have to deal with, I guess from my point of view, is they have to get used to their successes not being celebrated. So if you're a doctor and you qualify, you can have a party and tell all your friends and your family about what you do and your lives you've saved. If you're an APT who's qualified, you can't go home to your family and say, I dissected a brain today and it was brilliant because they will look at you like Joe's looking at me now. <laughs> um, like, you're, you're like you're not quite right. I was trying to be as polite as possible. <laughs> <laughs> it's fine, I'm used to But then when he said cut brain, of, I went... A number of times I've had that look off people. But yeah, they have to get used to their, their kind of successes and their achievements not being celebrated. And I remember that point quite clearly. So as part of a, a trainee's qualification, we have to be able to uh, remove a spinal cord. Mm. And from a hand-eye coordination, technical ability point of view, it's about one of the most complex things we do. Not hurting ourselves, not damaging the tissue, not damaging the body, being able to get it out you know, whole and, and intact and all of those things. And I remember doing it for the first time unsupervised. It represented about eight months worth of training. And I remember doing it and I had this spinal cord on a, on a set of forceps. And I'm like, I've done it. Look, I've done it. Everyone, look, I've done it. And then the, the, your human part of your brain kicks in and goes, yeah, but that's on my spinal cord. And then you're like, oh, shit. Everything's bad. <laughs> you can't have the photo with it, can you? Like, no. Like the fisherman <laughs> with the fish. <laughs> Not really. So, yeah, all of your, all of your achievements. Imagine are... that, though. You go around to Lee's toilet. <laughs> <laughs> Four and sets yeah, of the spinal cord. You, you do, yeah. It's just walls plastered with this different is my first organs. Brain. Yeah. This is my first lung. And immediately I'd be sitting there having a shit <laughs> and I'd go, he's a serial killer. God knows what's going on here. But I'd also be like, well, you're not. But now, now I'm questioning our personal relationship <laughs> and now I don't know what to think. And all these things going in my head, I'm like... Fuck, I'm not coming around your house with shit in your toilet. <laughs> Only if you push it down afterwards, though. Okay. Yeah, because it's a hammer blow to Lee that you're not coming around. To you. <laughs> it's one of your seven shits a day, is it? <laughs> Do you ever get this thing right? Go with me on this joke, because it probably won't make sense. I'll but... try. Okay. So as someone who's a vegetarian, there is a point when you haven't eaten meat for a while. Yeah. When you see meat and it stops becoming meat that you've seen on a plate before and it looks actually like a bit of animal ass. Yeah. Is there a point, Lisa, you have been spending all day working with bodies yep. and... Famished, I think is the answer you're getting to. <laughs> I wasn't actually going to ask if you fancied eating one. It was more that point where, let's say you're in the shower later yep. and you're having a wash or you're with your partner, right? You're looking at the same body parts. Do you ever get that weird disassociation where... Yeah, so oftentimes when we have people who come and watch post-mortem, so the police and the ambulance crews and all those things, they will leave our department absolutely starving hungry. And again, that's your caveman brain being exposed to red meat, blood, all of that stuff. Wow. And it is, you will leave hungry. You do generally leave hungry. The people who haven't passed out will generally leave hungry. That is insane. You're looking hungry now, Joe. Uh, well, the thought of it. Yeah. Oh, well, fucking hell, why have you made me weird? No, I don't mean the thought of... <laughs> I don't mean the thought of eating people, but it has made me go, oh, I'm hung I am hungry. I can feel it. Just the thought of yeah. you talking about meat and... Can you not do the arse? I'm not eating arse. So your brain's an amazing thing. Your brain will, will trick you as much as it can. So have you ever found yourself, like, when, you, when you're cutting a bit of brain up and then just... Because you're so... You know when you're driving, you get... 
Yeah. What's it? What's it called? With tunnel, tunnel vision. Tunnel vision. Yeah. In it. Do you ever find yourself cutting that brain and then just like? I haven't yet. Popping a bit in. Just popping. I haven't yet. No. Not yet. It's not for me. No. no. Probably because you don't have a fork. Unless um, it's one could of the from prison who's swallowed one. That's true. I mean, I've often found myself like rubbing my face with, with a dirty hand or, you know, brushing something off me with a dirty hand and that's that takes a bit of time to get used to. Oh, um, like so dirt, yeah, like blood. As in, yeah, as in we've been that, doing like, the post-mortem yeah, examination like, and you've got a tickle or <laughs> something happens and you just kind of go, oh, oh. <laughs> <laughs> See, there is a little bit of light in this episode. Yeah. We, can, we have found. We have. <laughs> okay, what's your, what's your favourite... <laughs> That's not the right question. What's the best organ to cut? As in easy? Are there different considerations, obviously? Well, the, the, predominantly the removal of the organs is us and the examination of the organs is the pathologist. That's right. what I've kind of covered. So they're dissecting the organs, but from a, an anatomy point of view, the post-mortem side of it in three blocks is the most kind of overall view you'll get of the pathology that's there. So again, depending on which pathologist you're working for, depends on how they want everything out. So there are our pathologists at the moment are all one block. So everything from the tongue to the rectum is all out in one piece, with the exception of the bowel that we generally take out. Separately. So is my tongue connected to my arse? Yeah, effectively. Your <laughs> your alimentary canal so maintains an outside that. environment. So in all the way out, it's the same environment as we're in at the moment. It's effectively a straw through your body. Fucking hell. What? There are so many crazy oh things about your body. <laughs> like your brain. Your brain can see your nose all the time and it chooses to ignore it. Don't tell me that because, well... Your nose effectively acts like a child in front of your TV screen all the time. So if you can imagine a child being in the, your peripheral vision of your TV and you're doing this the whole time, your nose is there the whole time, you can see it the whole time, and your brain tells your eyes to ignore it. What? No, it doesn't. It does. It does. This is bollocks. It does. I can see my... You're looking my, up now. My eyebrows are a little bit bushy at the minute. Yeah. yeah. I can see some of my eyebrows. Well, but they're not in the way all the time. They are. When I'm looking at Lee, I can see that on my left eye, left thing. So we I get some see. scissors when we yeah, have lunch. So no, because if I lick it and put it, yeah, but yeah can't see my eyebrow. Genuinely, your nose is in the way all the time. Uh, I'm going to have to respectfully disagree <laughs> with you on this one. Will, will it agree always, to disagree? Is that fine? It always grows from the moment you're born to the moment you die. You've what my nose? Your nose and your oh, ears are continuously sake. growing. I am fucked. <laughs> when you get to 70, if you get to 70, which, you know, who knows? Your brain's so clever. At, at some point, you have to remember how your clever your brain is. clever. You think you've got a nose in front of your fucking eyes all the time. <laughs> right, mate, this episode is sponsored by the following truly exceptional people. To be or not to be, it's Jake Hamnett. Ken the Mayor. Becky Garrett with the good hair. Hallelujah. It's Josh Buckley. The Duracell Bunny, Rob Juro, come away with me. It's Laura Jones. The Groundsman, Terry Cash, Easy Peasy Matthews. Andrew Harrison, Gareth Essex and Paul Greeno. The Orient, Dean Layton. We need to talk about Kevin. Duffy and the laptop, Joe Dell. To be more like all of them, go to patreon.com forward slash Joe Show, become an official sponsor, get bonus content and grow the show today. Lee, I've got a couple of questions here. Sure. And I have to flag them up with saying they may be silly questions. Have you ever had a patient come in and you've recognised them? Yes. Oh. Yeah, so I've I've done post-mortems on family members and, and people I know, yeah. Oh, what is that like? Um, you know they died before? One, yes, and, and the others, no. Oh, my God. 
So yeah, the first we, thing you know about it is when you see them. Yeah. So I dealt with a friend who had been killed in a road traffic accident. Oh no! And the first I knew that he died was when he was delivered to me out of hours on call. So yeah, that was a tough one. How on earth do you cope with that? Um, I think it's difficult because you have to you have to switch your brain off again. But the thing is, is that knowing the skill set that we have as a department, and, and especially like with my cousin, the the work that they needed doing was was best performed by people who know how to do it. And the skill set that we've got as a department, and I took an additional qualification in uh, advanced human reconstruction, which allows myself and my team to use specialist techniques and chemicals and waxes and materials to get people looking kind of back to how they were. Not always perfect but you know as, as good as we can see often people who've died in road traffic accidents need a bit of work so yes yeah. just switch your brain off and get on with it and then deal with it afterwards that's an extraordinary ability to have isn't it Joe? the the trust that i work for have a, a stance that they won't stop you doing it if you want to do it um i've had team members that have also dealt with with family members and, and it's it's a difficult one to call because if you stop them doing it they feel like they've missed out if you encourage them to do it you feel like you've pushed them to do it so we have to be led by them and all we can really do is support um but yeah it's a tough one Stuff on. I thought you were fucking now, mate. I thought you were coming out with silly questions. That's not a silly question. It's you, fine. It's absolutely one right. And it's, it's one of the things. It's one of the things that my my team members have have all kind of said to me over the years is you know what what happens if I see someone I know what happens when I have somebody that I you know I, I part of my family or whatever it might be. So yeah, it is it is always in the back of your mind. And with certainly Norfolk being quite a small area, you know the chances are someone's going to come in that you know. So you when you're doing your job, you were able to to pack that emotion away and do your job. In that case with your cousin, when did it come out? Did it, were you able to control the release of that emotion or did you get home well, and... Whew? I had it in a, in a little way with my dad. I didn't deal with my dad personally when he, you know, as in a professional point of view. I went and saw him after he died. I didn't really deal with it properly until maybe two or three weeks after the funeral. I think, and again, because it's like anything, if you're a doctor, you know, you bump into people and you, you tell people you're a doctor, they say, oh, I've got this lump on my arm. Can you have a look at it for me? Or in this department, anybody dies. Oh, tell me, what do I need to do? What do I need to do about this? Can you tell me about the, this process or whatever it might be? And I think when my dad died, I didn't really, it didn't really hit me that he died until maybe a week after the event. And yeah, I, I, I properly spiralled. I did not do well. But yeah, it's you just have to you just have to switch it off and, and get on with it. As I said, I'm, I'm in a really fortunate position. I can talk about that, stuff like that with my wife. The kids, you know, the girls, and have been used to us talking about it throughout throughout their time as well. So yeah, it's it's, it's a very much a normal things to talk about in our in our kind of household but yeah it's not not always the same for everybody else so yeah we can we can only support is the short answer my last serious question is why why did you get into for me it was an interest in in the human body i was working in a hospital doing another role i was doing uh portering and security and i got friendly with a mortuary manager there he asked me if i wanted to come and watch her post-mortem i was i had lots of questions about it i I went and stood up on the gallery there and watched my first post-mortem with the blood slowly draining out of my body and me doing full circles and I'm just going, this is, this is not for me. And I had to go outside, went and got some fresh air, went back in again, same thing, <laughs> blood draining out of me, collie, you know, full collie wobbles, shaking knees. Went back out again, came back in um, and I said, mate, this is not for me, I don't think I can do this. And he said, before you go, go get some scrubs on and come and stand beside me so you can just focus on this bit and by the end of that third post-mortem I was I had a needle in my hand needle and thread in my hand and was and was stitching and I just thought I can do this so it just kind of went click I didn't really set out to do this job I wanted to be an architect (laughs) (laughs) yeah wanted to plan the setup of buildings you know gloriously but ended up just tearing bodies apart yeah right myth busting here Lee have you ever had 
or heard about a patient being brought in and it turns out they're still alive? <gasps> um, I've heard about it. It hasn't happened in my department, but I think there are a number of cases around the world every year where people are declared dead and come back to life. So what happens there? Is it possible? It's the fact that probably that they were never dead. So oh. there is a condition <laughs> called... There is a condition... <laughs> it's a condition called catalepsy, and it's where your body effectively goes into stasis. It, it's doing one or two heartbeats a minute. In All a your catatonic systems, state? Yeah, your systems just slow down and, and shut down. <laughs> Look, he's so pleased, Lee. <laughs> he's basically taking something that you said anyway <laughs> and repeated it as if he's... Come up with it. Carry on, so mate. the body systems to shut down and the examination performed by a doctor wouldn't be enough to, you know, a standard, oh, they're dead. Fingers on the wrist, checking the pulse, yeah. not enough. No, it's not enough. <gasps> it tends to happen in, in kind of, you know, third world countries where the death certification process is not quite so robust as, as ours. Lee, you have been absolutely wonderful. I knew you were going to be you. wonderful. It's been a, a wonderful, wonderful opportunity. opportunity. Thank you. But to actually sit and talk and find a little bit of light in the dark absolutely and prove to me Tom and the listeners that APTs mortuary technicians people that work with death and bodies are just normal people normal people you're not all tattooed upside down headed weirdos no not all of us it's been great to have you on thanks Thank for you, coming Jim. mate thanks Lee Lee, 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 was fucking great. Boy, Joe, in all seriousness, what an amazing man. An incredible job to do. You knew Lee a little bit beforehand. I didn't, and I love spending time with him, and I was, at times, staggered and amazed by the things he told us. I knew it was going to be great as a human, but as an episode on our podcast, he was fucking wonderful. I didn't even know he worked in a mortuary. Still, <laughs> the other definitely day... Definitely Lee that you'd met before, was it? definitely that Lee. Same Lee? No, it's the same Lee. This the, Lee? The, 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 it was that Lee Lee. Okay. Upside down haired everything. He was great, but fucking, that's a tough old gig, isn't it? It's a tough old gig, Joe, and we went to places in that episode that I didn't think we'd go. You definitely couldn't do it, could you? No. No, if I had to, I could. No, you couldn't if you had to. Go on, then, what are you going to say? You can barely handle if I cupcake you with my fart. <laughs> that, like, <laughs> that doesn't happen in mortuaries. No, I know, but what I'm saying is, I if I cupcake you with yeah. my fart, you're like... Oh, yeah, because they stink and it's yeah. in my hand, it's on my nose. So how on earth are you catting into someone's ribcage? You're not, are you? Well, I'm in charge of that, you see. Well, the cupcaking you're in charge of. So I don't know when the cupcaking is going to happen. Is it happening today? That's the issue, is it? The fact you're not in charge of being cupcaked. Well, it's, I'm not going to be surprised when I cut into a body, but so if, if you, you cupcake me, I was going to say it's a surprise. Unfortunately, it's not a surprise. It's very predictable. Joe. So you're fine if if you if you say to me, Joe, can you cupcake me now? <laughs> that will never say that sentence. No, but if you did, you'd be all right with it then. You'd be able to cope with it. If you were to give me a specific timing and duration of it, but I'm still, you're doing the cupcaking, I'm doing the cutting. It's like if the body started going, it's all right, I'm going to cut myself open now. That's the cupcaking. What about that bollocks he was trying to make out with the, with the nose? Look at your nose. I am looking at it. Yes, exactly. What? <laughs> Joe, before we go... Let's remind everyone about something very exciting that is happening next year. From January, you can come and watch us recording live podcasts every month at the Clapham Grand because we've got this new idea called Things People Did where we'll be speaking to comedians and celebrities about all the weird and fun jobs they used to do before they were famous. Joe, can you remind people how brilliantly cheap the tickets are, please? Yes, I can, Tom. The tickets are £15 and 5 pence. You can find the link in the episode description. It's going to be a lot of fun. Does that sound like I read it off a script? Yeah, but in quite an impressive fashion. Goodbye, Joe. See you next time. Bye-bye. 
proud network. A place where you belong. Sports Social Podcast Network.